Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to another edition of Observations. Thank you so much for joining me for each and every episode that uh, we have done, that we have uh, recorded. You guys have been my my passengers along this crazy uh, journey. Uh, started this again in, in a pandemic, in isolation, with a desire to talk about my, my love of comics, the history of comics as I've uh, experienced them. And lo and behold, that has landed us on 50 episodes uh, today. And with this episode, 50 episodes, I cannot even begin to believe that I have done 50 of these and that you have listened to 50 of these. And I just thank you so much for all the feedback, all the warm, generous uh, input that you have given me, uh, the enthusiasm. It, 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 it is so appreciated. I cannot even begin to tell you how much uh, I appreciate all of the of the support that you've given this podcast in 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 these you know last few months since we launched, and so today what what am I going to do for fifty episodes? Right, uh, I thought I should do something special, and and that something special turned out to uh, be securing an interview with someone who uh, is is not only a dear friend of mine, but someone who I believe is the most important comic book creator of the last twenty years. Yes. I believe that Robert Kirkman of Walking Dead, of Invincible, of Oblivion Song, of Super Dinosaur, Wolfman, Capes, uh, you name it, Robert has written it. Uh, He had a tenure at Marvel. Uh, He he has, uh, at a young age, burst on the scene, grabbed the attention of guys like myself. Uh, At a time, I think I was probably beginning to become jaded uh, with comic books as, as people do after being in the industry for so long. And I, I, I discovered this fresh young voice named Robert Kirkman, who uh, really punched me in the face with Invincible Number 1 and then carried on with everything after, uh, which is, uh, of course, Walking Dead and, and, and all the titles that I've already listed. Um, currently uh, writing Firepower and, and uh, just... So many great comics over the years. I've lost track. That's how many comics he has written. And uh, he has a very distinct voice. He's extremely creative. Uh, we, we, we all know that that his arrival at Image kind of was a game changer. It, it, it really came at a weird time for Image. I think they were a little lost. Then Robert Kirkman happened. The ideas started multiplying. Um, his success began to build. And and look at the world we live in. Uh, my, 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 my son is an avid Walking Dead Fanatic, I mean fanatic, and uh, has never missed a Walking Dead episode. Uh, became his his you know Star Wars of his generation. And look, let's be honest, how many hundreds of hours uh, have, has AMC devoted to Walking Dead? Whether it's the show or the after show where Chris Hardwick talks about the show. So I mean, between the Walking Dead, Beyond the Walking Dead, or Walking Dead Beyond, or Fear the Walking Dead. Um, uh, uh, all of the different, uh, uh, you know, d- iterations of Walking Dead. Robert Kirkman is responsible for hundreds of hours of our entertainment, and this uh, became the showpiece for AMC. Walking Dead did, and uh, so it is just so amazing. And and, and we're going to talk a little about the Invincible cartoon, which I think is going to be a massive success. But without any further ado, I am so excited to welcome today 
to Robservations, my very first interview. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> we'll see if there's any after this, but, but you guys gear up. We are about to go deep diving with an extended conversation with one of my favorite people on planet Earth and one of the most talented writers in the history of comic books, Robert Kirkman. Robert Kirkman. Robert, I cannot believe that you are joining us today on my humble Robservations podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, it's real, it's real hard to get one of your closest friends in the world to do your podcast. Like, come on, man. Come on. You know I'm doing this. All you, all you got to do is ask. I've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, and I've been waiting. Just like, oh, man, when's he going to have me on this podcast? It's going to be great. I can't wait. Uh, well, and I got to say, I just love this podcast. It is absolutely amazing. And the best part about it is I think fans are finally getting to experience Private Rob, the Rob that I've known for Jesus, over 10 years. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, just to like, you know, get your uh, your direct passion of comics to realize the love that's behind everything that you do. And I just love that people are getting to experience it the same way that I have for years. And 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 I got to say, a lot of these stories I've heard before, but still entertaining to me. And there have been a couple of things that you have kept from me over the years, which is always shocking to me. But uh, absolutely love this podcast. Happy to be here. Now you can oh, talk. Robert, I'm, I'm so excited. I, I, you know, for, for, forever, I, I did not think I would interview anybody. And, uh, and, and you know what? I'm like, I need to start interviewing people. I need to let other, you know, other people share their experiences. And there is no better. This is my 50th podcast, which is, is harder to get to than you think. Um, and I see people who have like 500, a thousand. I, I don't yeah. know how they do it. Um, podcasting is not just, like this, this simple thing. It takes a, a, a certain dedication, but interviews, you're the first, uh, it, it'll never get better than this. There are certain people, <laughs> people, there are certain people, people like you should interview. And I'm like, I'm never interviewing that person ever, like never, but, um, <laughs> no dude, you know, uh, we actually, so, so, so I think we have known each other 17 years. Oh um, my God. I, I believe I met you at the 2003 Wizard World Chicago. I spoke about it in a recent podcast, and uh, I'm pretty sure that was 2003. And uh, uh, see, I can't remember. I I, I uh, have quite the addled brain, I think, from overwork. But uh, I can't remember if Walking Dead was out already or if Walking Dead hadn't come out already. Because Walking Dead came out in October of 2003, and I know we spoke about it, but I can't remember if I was trying to get you to buy the book that had been out or if I was trying to get you to buy the book that was coming out in a few months. But I, it's either 2003 or 2004. Yeah, no, today, if, if it was 2004, my X-Force was It was not X-Force. It was... Uh, yeah. It was okay. Youngblood Bloodsport, 2003. But here's the funny thing. And, and oh man, you just jogged my memory. So because, so uh, people should understand that my admiration for you grew uh, and, and it, like, like hit the ground running with Invincible number one, which as I've told you repeatedly, and, and I mean, I can remember where I read every issue because it really was this came out of nowhere. Two guys, Robert Kirkman, Corey Walker. You later were like, Hey, I do this book called battle Pope. I'm like, I'm never reading that. Um, uh, <laughs> like, 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 like invincible was, you know, this book that I'd seen advertised. And I remember I got it at mile high comics, uh, that they, they still had their superstore in Anna, in Anaheim, except well, it had moved up the street because Chuck, 
kept moving location. So now it was in Garden Grove. I picked it up at the Garden Grove Superstore location. And I just go, who is this fully formed team? There is this very clear, concise uh, voice that has nuance, that knows that, that, that Uncle Robbie loves brutal violence. Um, and, and, and then there's this polished artist I'd never heard of. And you're like, where are these guys? I didn't know if you were 60, 50, 40, 20, <laughs> right? So, 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 so that is my encounter. I just couldn't believe. Uh, uh, and then of course the book's coming out regularly and you're like, wow, these guys are, they're, they're hitting their marks. They're getting the book out. Uh, Invincible was my most exciting book of that year. But here is the connective tissue before the connective tissue. And you just jogged my brain. So I told you about this. The, the same printer that printed your Brit, because Robert did this yes. one shot. You've done a couple, obviously, a lot of stuff with Brit. But but Brit was being printed at a printer in Pomona. And I went there to watch them print the copies of Youngblood Bloodsport. And uh, they, they had the... They had already printed Brit, but but those had shipped, and there were the guts, the the giant, you know, the printed guts were in the dumpster. I literally was like, "What is this?" And I saw the credits. It's, it's something else from Robert Kirkman, and and this guy's name is Tony Moore. And well, and I crawled in the dumpster and took out complete giant like sheets that had eight pages on them each, pre-cut, and eventually put together this comic. And you know, like. I, I also love Brit. That Brit one shot is, which you should reprint as like a treasury edition size, um, is so great. So that so that that was out or was coming out in two thousand three, summer two thousand three. Yes. So, well, I, so uh, yeah, that came out in July of two thousand three. Yeah. So so dude, like I literally was like, wait, there's more Robert Kirkman in the dumpster at the printer. <laughs> Um, I, you know, because image. Comics, uh, I just remember you telling me that story and thinking at the time, Rob Liefeld is digging through the trash for my comic. This is amazing, uh, Robert. Robert, you have you literally hit the ground with such a polished voice, and uh, so I, I have to know this. Given all of the books that you've written, because I mean, look, you have become a comic book factory you have your giant skybound label which does so many comics that you are either the producer of or the publisher of but i mean you you, you yourself i mean it's got to be 15 have you have you written 15 separate titles not comics i know obviously invincible and walking dead were in the hundreds how many titles is it 15 is it i mean when we get into super dinosaur and wolfman and and oblivion song i mean is it I, yeah, I don't know the number. I mean, I, you know, I've also got like obscure things like capes and Cloudfall and uh, Reaper and like other little books that I've tech done. Jacket. I, I mean, tech I, jacket, tech jacket. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've done maybe, maybe I'm getting close to 30 different books that I've, that I've, you know, created or co-created. Um, um, oh my I, gosh. I there's all those one shots. Yeah. There's all those one shots that you did at, at top cow too. Yeah, so yeah. you, you, what I'm trying to say is you are very, pro, you are very prolific comic creator, comic writer. Um, we're we're going to get to your drawing skills eventually. And, uh, and, and the thing is, uh, the thing is, no, no, no you got to break those out, man. Donnie Cates is starting to draw covers now, dude. I, I will, I need to ink a Robert Kirkman drawing. I, it is my destiny. Um, the, the, uh, the, the, the thing is, 
I told you, I have your, like right here, right, Tim, the left of me on my shelf next to a giant Deadpool bank head is a bunch of your layouts from the, the infinite um, that, that you gave me when we were working together on that. And, uh, but no, so you have imagined all these worlds, all these characters. So I always want to know, cause I've been really, I've told this story so many times and I can remember, maybe you can't cause not everybody is the same, but do you know, do you remember what your first comic book was? Cause I don't know the answer to this. Your, what yours was. So the, the, the very first comic book I ever read ever was a Captain America comic that was given to me by a family member that was visiting that they had picked up at a gas station. And I don't remember a lot about it. I, I, I believe it would have been uh, the Mark Gruenwald era. It probably would have yeah. been like 86, 87. Uh, uh, and, and, I, and I, I, I vaguely remember that he falls off a building and his shield is on his back and that absorbs the uh, impact. But that might be from a later Ron Lim issue that I'm misremembering. Okay. But uh, that was my first experience with comics where I was like, oh, this is like a book that has little boxes in it with characters. You know, I, I, I don't remember exactly what age I was, but my real first experience with comics was when I was uh, probably around 11 or 12. I was really into baseball cards and I was dragging my dad to baseball card shops and one of them happened to have a comic book section and my father, who was a welder, uh, grew up reading a comic book called The Metal Men from DC. Right. On. And he mistakenly thought that Iron Man was a spinoff of Metal Men. So he grabbed a giant stack of Iron Man comics, bought like, I want to say like seven or eight comics, and uh, bought them at this baseball card shop. And those ended up being the uh, John Byrne scripted, John Romita Jr., Armor's, Armor Wars 2 uh, comic. And so those were laying around the house. And uh, uh, after a few months, I found them and was like, well, I'm bored on a Saturday. So, you know, let me let me try this comic book thing. And I read that story from beginning to end. Uh, and from that point, I was I was hooked. And uh, the local Walmart in Cynthia, Kentucky, uh, had a comic rack uh, in the toy section. And that was my only access to comics. So I could only get comics that were available at Walmart. And uh, they didn't carry D.C., uh, but that's where I started getting, you know, X-Force and New Mutants and Amazing Spider-Man and, you know, Jim Lee's X-Men. And uh, Todd, I think, had already started the Adjectiveless Spider-Man series. Like, okay. I was, you know, pretty late, I guess. Um, so, like, like I got X-Force before I got New Mutants. So, like, when I got to New Mutants 100, that was me digging it out of a back issue. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, and that, that reveal just absolutely floored me. We've talked about that in private before, uh, you know, just one of a, like a defining moment of what comics could be. Um, so, uh, so yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of my, uh, uh getting into comics story. Let, let, me, let me ask you about the Walmart I, because, um, I don't even think Walmarts came out here to like in a big way in Southern California until the late, late nineties or the early, early two thousands. Um, because they started taking over these different vacant buildings. So, what the comic books they sold in Walmart were they were they packed together in three packs or were they singles? They had the three packs later on. So when the big image boom happened in '92, that's when they started carrying those pedigree, uh, you know, three packs, five packs, and stuff like that. But before that, in you know '90 '91, they literally had like basically a, a spinner rack that didn't spin. It was one of those flat racks that was two comics side by side. 
uh, you know, stacked maybe like five high. And that was just, a, it was on the side of an end cap in the toy aisle. And so, and, and they had a weird selection too. It wasn't all just the top stuff. Like I got, I got West Coast Avengers. Um, they had the Avengers book, but I didn't buy that because at the time it, it just, <laughs> for whatever reason, it just looked bad. But they yeah. had Web of Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, X-Men, uh, Uncanny X-Men, uh, Spider-Man, X-Force, uh, you know, all, all the top books. But every now and then they'd have like Super Pro and, and just weird stuff like that that would just kind of pop up. And, and, and it wasn't very consistent. Sometimes they would have, you know, a couple of issues of this and then you wouldn't see that book for a while. And then maybe you'd find issue six or something. Um, from that point, I got, you know, hooked on comics from buying them at Walmart. So anytime I was at a gas station or a grocery store, I would always go to the magazine section. And that's where I would get things like Sleepwalker and Darkhawk and some of the like more random stuff that would come out. I got Infinity Gauntlet number one at a grocery store. Uh, and it's just a magic time in comics. Like that's why I did Die, Die, Die the way I did, where I didn't announce the book and I just put it out in stores. I went to a grocery store having no idea that the Infinity Gauntlet series existed or was coming out or anything. And I'm just walking by the, the peas and, and I look and there's Thanos and all the Marvel heroes in one book. And, you know, starting comics when I did, I didn't know what the hell Secret Wars was. So this was like a new concept to me. Uh, just the magic of like coming in and finding a comic that you didn't know existed that's already in your hands is something that I've always wanted to kind of recapture because I think it's something that's missing in modern comics. Yeah, well, that, that's why I'm so fascinated by this because what, what, the reason I asked you about the, the three packs or the four packs is, is again, when I was a kid, uh, I, I, I've talked often, I mean, so weird. I we even went on Pinterest to get pictures of, uh, this department store chain. And, and, and I, and looking back, I was not aware it was mostly a West coast, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, California, Wash Washington, um, Arizona. It was a chain called Gemco G E M C O. And they are the target of the now most of the targets in Southern California in the, uh, nineties, they bought old Gemco's, but right when you went into Gemco, uh, <clears throat> in the entrance, and the books and magazine section, they had a, they had a rack that had the, the three packs and, and, you know, I got defenders 50 defenders, 52, a ton of defenders comics and, and amazing Spider-Man comics, Captain America comics. Cause, and what you would do is they were sealed so tight in plastic. Cause the stuff that I saw <clears throat> at Walmart was like in hard shells. Cause our, our stuff was sold in it's that they were in the hard shells, but these were like really you know, a, a piece of cardboard and then uh, one on one side and two on the other. So you always pinch to see what was under that, you know, uh, what was under the, 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 the two that were stacked on the one side. Cause you're like, well, should I hit this or what's, what's the one I can't see. And you would literally with your thumb, try and smudge it as much again. And, and oh, I yeah. you, I've played that you know, game. I, I've told, I've said this to people before, like condition wasn't a concern when I was eight or nine, I didn't encounter bags and boards until my first comic store. So the fact that there was 20 years where in mass market outlets, so in the 90s, you're still buying comics <clears throat> from a mass market outlet. So it, 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 that's a that's a way that we encountered comics it is is yeah. at the gas station, at the market, at the you know the the, the distribution was so you know I still I do I I, I get sad when I go to 7-Eleven and there's no comic books and I don't know when they you know. I don't know when they got rid of them, 2006, 2000, 2002, so, you know. Uh, funny story, the, the Walmart 
the Walmart that I got comics at, I eventually worked at in high school many years later, uh, like 94, 95. Uh, no, actually, I think it was 96. Um, and they still had comics on the same rack. Uh, they had them consistently, you know, like well into the 90s. And I almost got fired because I was running the register in Lawn and Garden. And it was a fairly dull night. There was nothing really going on. And I went by the comic rack and I just grabbed a stack of comics. And I just sat behind the register in Lawn and Garden reading. And it was, uh, I know it was Jeff Matsuda's X Factor was one of them. So it was like that era where they had the, yeah. the 3D generated logos in the top left-hand corner of uh, of the Marvel comics. Yes. And yeah. uh, like Ghost Rider in that weird, like crazy outfit uh, with like the neon colors where he looked like a, a motocross guy. Uh, and I didn't realize that they had a camera pointed right at that register because it was right next to the back door and stuff. And so I'm literally on camera in Walmart for a long time, just standing there reading comics. And the, and uh, I, I heard the manager coming, and uh, uh, and I and I took him and I hit him behind like uh, uh, the dog food or something. And he came over and uh, uh, this is a boring story. I'll try to get. No, I love it. I I, but, I, I, I have questions. They didn't. They didn't have. I don't. I don't think the the video recorded. So he came over to get the comics and was going to fire me. And he was like, "So you're reading comics?" And I was like, "What? I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> and he's like, "You're not back here reading comics." And he tore through the register area trying to find the comics that he had seen me reading. And I was like, "I, I don't have any comics over here, man. I don't know. What, I don't know what you're doing." Okay. And I just narrowly <clears throat> avoided getting fired. He was so pissed though because he knew I had done it. You, you answered my question when you said that they they they, they weren't recording it because I'm like, what did they did they did they walk in the back room and go, hey, I want you to look at something, look at this, see this? No, he. What, yeah, what do you do right there? Play with it, and he was furious. Oh, uh, that's so funny. Oh my gosh, that's great. So, what was your first comic store? What how when when did you discover a comic store, and what was that like? So uh, I lived in Cynthiana, Kentucky, which is a small town kind of in between Lexington, Kentucky and Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, we would drive into the big city of Lexington, Kentucky, uh, you know, like maybe every weekend, like three, two or three times a month. Uh, uh, so almost every weekend. And, you know, my mom would run errands and, you know, pick up things and see friends because we used to live in Lexington before we moved out into the sticks. And, uh, uh, so I would go on these trips and, uh, at some point, you know, after I've been buying comics at Walmart, I, I didn't even know comic shops existed. And we were driving by a, a place called, uh, I think it was Woodland Park. And there was a, a big yellow sign on the side of an old building that said, uh, comic interlude, comics and games and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I was like, hey, like, what is that a whole, is that a whole store that sells, sells comics? And I'm like, like literally like pressing my face against the glass as we drive by going, mom, you gotta stop. There's a store that sells comics, mom, what are you doing? And, uh, and she didn't stop. But then <laughs> I remembered Woodland Park. And every single time we would come back to Lexington, I'd be like, you got to go to Woodland Park. You got to take me to that comic shop. And I hounded her so much that eventually after like two or three trips, she was like, okay, I got to be in this area. Fine. We'll go in. And it was like the quintessential comic shop. You, you had to, there was a place called the rusty scabbard. That was a gaming store that was, that was sharing the, 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 the space with this comic shop. It was like two separate businesses in one space. And you had to walk through the rusty scabbard to get to the comic book store. So you had to walk by all the 20 sided die and the, and yeah. the, you know, like, like games and stuff. And, uh, you know, I, my, my family, uh, you know, 
fairly Baptist Christian, so I've spent some time in mm-hmm. churches and stuff, and I've heard a lot about how Dungeons and Dragons makes you go to hell and stuff. Yeah, and so uh, so that was a little scary, kind of walking through that corridor. Uh, but uh, but then I walked in, and like it's you know long boxes everywhere, and they sold posters of comic book stuff. So they had like Todd's Wolverine uh, with the Hulk reflected in the claws poster. Oh. And, uh, uh, that I, I can't remember. What and, more, and at that moment, when you saw, weren't you freaking out? Like, oh my gosh, it's 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 Shangri La. <laughs> oh, but I mean, it, it, this is like they had uh, Dark Horse comics. They had uh, you know, they, they had DC DC comics, Vertigo comics, like things that I didn't even know existed. And I was, <laughs> and they had Marvel comics I'd never heard of. And yeah, it was it was they had old comics that you could get if you had if you had missed an issue and they had expensive comics on the wall behind the register and just to like all the things that we kind of take for granted now like just the the tropes that you would expect from a comic book shop to experience it for the first time after getting to know comics because like my kids you know your kids too i'm sure like you drag them to a comic shop and you're like isn't this amazing and they're like this just looks like a store i've been in this store since i before i remember being alive like this is just a part of my life you know and you're just like oh my god i've I've ruined life for my for my children. I didn't let them experience it the way I did. But uh, it's just that you know, it's an irreplaceable, like just a magic uh, uh, thing to be suddenly overwhelmed with this thing that you love. I mean, little pewter statues of of of, of you know, like characters from comics, that, you know, shouldn't exist. And yeah. then the best part about this comic shop, the mm-hmm. comic interlude, Lexington, Kentucky, is that the second or third time I went in. I walk in and there's this young blood poster with the Malibu logo in the bottom Woo! left-hand corner. And I was like, uh, what is, what is this? And I went to the counter and was like, what, what is young blood? Like Rob Liefeld's doing a new book called young blood. Like what, what's going on? I know Mark Purcell has been drawing a lot of X-Force lately and it's kind of annoying me because I want my pure Rob Liefeld. I don't know what's happening, but like, like tell me what's going on. And the guy behind the counter goes, you don't know about image comics. Like, oh yeah, all these guys are leading. Oh, Eric Larson, Tana Farland, Jim Montano, Mark Silvestri, Jim Lee, Will Spratt, like they're all they're all going, they're forming a company. And I was just I like, what? It. And to get news from a human being, like that just shows you how important these comic shop clerks are. Like it was just just a magic time that that you know the internet has sadly destroyed. But uh, uh, and then you know, like the bond I formed with that guy, and that's when I opened a pull box because I didn't think I'd be able. I was still buying comics at Walmart, and then I'd get other comics at the comic shop. And I was like, "Well, I I opened my very first pull box, and what did I reserve? Every Image comic. That's literally all I got. Every Image comic. Uh, and uh, uh, and so yeah. So then every time I would come to that comic shop, I would get a stack of stuff, and it was very exciting. I, I kind of feel like that 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 would go down now, or or we, you know we don't know that it didn't go down this way. Yeah, you saw that Youngblood poster, saw the image, and you're like, hey, um, can you point me in the direction of the company that I'm going to eventually um be a significant force and help run? And actually, I'm going to co-run that company one day. So could you point me in that direction, please? Um, I would much appreciate it. I mean, do you it's ever talk? Okay, do you bizarre, even know that clerk? Do you even know that clerk? Was he even like? Did you know him when you became a partner? Uh, I mean, I don't know where he went. The the I believe his name was Myron Herod. Uh, I could have that wrong, but Myron, he, shout out to you for pointing Robert to the Image Comics. Yeah, and he he owned the Comic Interlude, and the Comic Interlude moved to a couple of places. The Comic Interlude is still in Lexington. 
Uh, it's owned by different people, though, okay. and I don't recall the uh, owner's name uh, now. Sadly, that's that's a yeah, that's whatever. a that's a you're busy part. guy. You're busy guy. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but you know, yeah. a lot going on. But I will say, Lexington, Kentucky, bizarre comic book town. Like Lexington, Kentucky has almost as many comic shops as Los Angeles. Like it's it's crazy. There's Lexington is the backbone of the yeah. comics industry right now. Let's let's shout out shout out to Lexington. <laughs> Like literally, I mean, seriously, like, cause we both have talked like comic books are doing fairly well in a pandemic year for, I think a lot of obvious reasons. They're tactile. You, you can, you can interact with them without touching someone else. It's a very, it, it, it feeds isolation tendencies in my opinion, but bottom line, they're doing well. Right. So, I mean, I keep reading how well comics. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, people need escapism right now. Best escapism. Um, so I, I can't believe I've put this question off as long as I have. And literally, dude, thank you. I did not know all of these. I in my I mean, literally, I was walking through that store with you uh, as you told it. And it just I, I see in my mind's eye because because I remember when I encountered a comic store for the first time. And, and, and again, when you said seeing long boxes, that that is that is like a total memory jar. And uh we, I, I had looked up a used comic book ad because I was trying to buy back the ones that my very, you know, friend's religious mom had thrown them all away. And and this is a couple of years later and my dad drove me and we went to this like, you know, it wasn't a used bookstore. It was used magazines. And, and the minute we get up there, it, it's Penthouse and Playboy. And I mean, my dad's a, a, a pastor. So I'm, 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 I'm surprised we even crossed the threshold, but he had long boxes on the floor and he said I could look through them, and there was all these Kirby, John Buscema, Thor's, Avengers, and everything stopped short of when I was starting in 75. And I'd be like, how much is this? And he's like, that's $30. <laughs> and, like, uh, and then every question was, that's $30. They were all bagged and boarded in Mylar, no less. And then I was like, Dad, we got we got to go. And that's when I was like, I, I'm never going to be able to afford my comic collection. But he had, he had no new books. It was literally a Saturday afternoon in Fullerton, California, tracking down a, a, a magazine store. But when you said, you know, the long boxes, and like I said, dude, again, having been raised in, in, in a Baptist house too, my dad, all of the eventual, the very first comic store I went to, all they all looked like they were in Leonard Skinner or Led Zeppelin. And, you know, with my dad and his slick back hair with the whatever, you know, Venetian fluid he put in his hair or whatever the people in the fit because he was still rocking a 1950s hairdo in 1978 and uh and and to see all these like I mean he was fully full of smoke some cigar some pot and so and my dad's like I, I I'm I'm not sure about this place and I'm like dad just if I can just hold you off for 10 minutes so I can get in here and get some comics and make a getaway so I, I relate to that but here is um this is the question. I literally do not know the answer to this, Robert. And as you know, this gentleman is a huge character in comic books. He is a huge figure, a huge force. He was in my wedding. Okay. People love stories about Todd McFarlane. And I do not know when you met him. When did you meet at what stage with Image Comics, or maybe it was before, when did you meet Todd McFarlane? I, and if it was a separate uh, as a fan and a pro, I want to hear both. So Brian, Brian Haberlin 
was running TMP's comic book division at the time. And he contacted me and said, hey, would you be interested in writing Spawn? And I believe I was still at Marvel at the time. Yeah, I had to, I had to be at Marvel at the time. And so, uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. And I think that, uh, yeah, I think I was in between my first contract with Marvel and my second contract with Marvel. So this would have been around 2006. And so uh, I said, um, you know, I don't want to write Spawn, but I would be interested in creating a new character with Todd. And so Brian contacted me. He wrote me back and was like, I talked to Todd. Todd would totally be interested in doing that. Because, uh, you know, Walking Dead was already doing really well. And I was having no success at Marvel, but I was doing some books at Marvel. Uh, and so uh, uh, we started uh, talking, uh, like, mainly through Brian Haberlin. So I, I started developing Haunt and, you know, <laughs> pitching ideas for Haunt and things like that. Uh, and that was, I want to say like June or so. So, uh, July of, so it was basically Comic-Con of, I would say 2006, um, Haberlin invited me up to Todd's hotel room, uh, to finally talk to him in person. We had only ever really exchanged emails. We might've talked on the phone once, Okay, but I don't remember, but, uh, uh, but so I meet Todd in person by walking into his uh, hotel room at at Comic Con, and uh, I love Todd. You love Todd. Todd is a weird person. He knows this. Uh, so I, I he had, no, he had no shoes on. He was barefoot. He had to have been barefoot. Not only was he barefoot, he looked like he had been walking through a desert for I don't know a week or a month. Like his 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 feet were covered in sand or dirt. Like you could see it flaking off on the bed. Uh-huh. And I know for a fact that he uh, is barefoot almost all the time, and he keeps a pair of shoes in his car for when he needs them. And I know this because he has a, a great story about going to the airport thinking his shoes are in the car, and they're not. And so then he decides, you know what, you got to take your shoes off to get through security. Nobody's going to notice. I'm just going to fly barefoot. And he flies from Arizona to Los Angeles with no shoes thinks he's going to have time to buy shoes once he lands in LA, but the plane's delayed. So he has to go straight to his meeting, goes to a meeting in Hollywood with some movie studio barefoot, sits through the entire meeting with no shoes. And then he had to fly to WonderCon after that and uh, uh, went there with no shoes. So anyway, this uh, is now my favorite Todd McFarlane story. I, I, this has just jumped to, to the head of the, oh my gosh. This oh yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Oh my gosh. Okay. I can't like, dude, barefoot on concrete from the plane to the, in the car, to the studio. And, and, and that's awesome. I, I would so love, I to, know anyone, I would love to know if anyone ever mentioned to him in the meeting that he had no shoes on. Cause you know, Hollywood is weird like that. So. Anything to make you memorable. I, I sometimes think maybe I should go to meetings with no shoes because I would, you know, be more memorable and it would be a better meeting. But, um, so I think he does that often. So I, I first meet Todd and I can't stop looking at his just absolutely filthy feet. And, uh, uh, and, just kind of and, and the other thing that, the other thing that Todd does is he is, uh, he is 100% too, fo- too cool for school at all times. Yeah. yeah. And so I start talking to Todd about comics and <laughs> he's asking questions that are akin to, Oh yeah, they still publish those. <laughs> 
but no. it's like I'll mention certain creators and he'll be like, oh, they still do comics? I'm not going to say names. Uh, uh, and I'm like, yes, yes, they're one of the biggest writers in comics right now. Todd, you know this. And he's like, huh? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. You know, and it's all, it's dumb all play. Yes. He knows who it is, it is 100%. He knows exactly what's going on. Dumb act. It's a dumb act. Yeah, got it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, but we, we wanted to announce Haunt, but we hadn't really done anything yet. We had no visuals. We just had a concept and they wanted to announce that, you know, Todd McFarlane and Robert Kirkman are doing a book together. And I said, no. No, we can't do that. Well, what, you know, if you announce a book with no art, you look weak, like it's premature. Uh, uh, instead of me announcing it at your panel, why don't I sit in the audience of your panel and pretend that I'm a fan and that I'm asking you a question? And then we'll pretend that the genesis of this book is me talking to Todd at this panel and egging him on about how he never created another character after Spawn. And, you know, and he says, we should do something together. And I say, yeah, that's great. And then, you know, the fans will always remember that one time I was at that panel and that book spontaneously, you know, uh, uh, came into existence. And then, you know, next con will, you know, announce the book because I'm sure we'll be done by then. Uh, and so we concocted that, uh, uh, you know, uh, fake panel that we did. Did you, uh, did you do it at that show? Yeah. So, so you go to his meeting, you interact. So I, I meet him at the hotel room, and then the next day, I'm in the audience talking to him at his panel, pretending we've never met before. And he even does the whole, uh, uh, he, he he wanted to do this bit where he doesn't know who I am, and Brian Haberlin leans over and goes, uh, Todd, that's uh, that's Robert Kirkman. He does The Walking Dead for Image. And Todd's like, oh, I, love it. I can't believe it. Oh, I didn't know who you were. So when you meet him in the house, so, so by the time to get in the elevator, to go to see Todd in this way that you're describing is, uh, uh, this, he had already done his due diligence on you via Haberlin, who obviously even to get the call to write spawn, he's like, no, Todd, this guy is the real deal. Walking dead and, and, and yeah. invincible. These are great comics. You should, you should be aware. So, so when he said, so, what's up? Robert Kirkman, Todd McFarlane. How does that go? Is that what? What is? What's the introduction? I, I mean, he sat up in bed, shook my hand, and and you know, like asked how I was doing, how my trip was. Like Todd's very friendly, and yeah, Todd is very. You know, he 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 likes asking about how your family's doing, talking about family and stuff. That's very important to him. And so, like, I mean, immediately likable. Uh, uh, I think that's one of Todd's powers. Like you immediately are like, I will go to war with this guy. Like this guy is the absolute greatest. Like he's, he's very personable. Uh, it was a fun conversation, um, you know, and, 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 you know, just discussing know like different haunt stuff. I'm very, I guess, business oriented. I have, I've encountered people that have found it off putting. And so I'm, I'm very often like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Niceties, niceties. So what's going on in the industry? What are we doing with this book? Like how, what, what are our tactics for, for yeah. the release? Like what kind of variant covers are we going to do? Uh, I'm, I'm somewhat annoyingly laser focused on, you know, like, like the actual logistics of things, which, no, I, you know, I, I, sometimes it's a fault. No, no, Todd. Well, we're, it goes at his own speed, and there is no altering that speed. And it's something to admire about him too. But no, literally, because you know, because I know you, and I know you are a fan of Todd's, as as I was a fan of Todd's when I met him. Even though he hadn't, you know, I think maybe he's just doing the Hulk when I meet him, and, and I really liked his Hulk. It was it was refreshing, and I had followed him on Infinity Inc. I mean, I was a guy I definitely had. My eyes on, I knew that he was making bold moves. Everything started going really well for him when he 
move from DC to Marvel. So he was definitely on the fast track. But again, when I mean, because you understand, I'm I'm asking you because whenever this is, did, did you say it's 2006? Did, yeah, 2006. I'd say. I mean, Robert, you are going to be a partner with him in this company inside, you know, another six years, um, uh, faster. Yeah. Two, two or three years. Yeah, yeah, two. I mean, so Robert, that, I mean, and, 2009 was when I, I mean, heard, uh, 2008 was when I became a partner. So, so, and this is the, and so when that is going to start to shape and form, what's that like? Robert Kirkman uh, is, is now in a position to be offered a publisher, uh, a publisher, no, owner, co-owner status with the rest of yeah. the guys. So it, there's like a, a secret meeting, uh, you know, everybody <laughs> wears their rings and robes. Um, I mean, what, 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 I mean, so, so is this, or just a call, but welcome. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I, like, like at that point, like, so, so you've worked with them now because you stood up and you, you guys created this entire yes. opportunity with the haunt. And so then it's like, Robert, cause I'm going to tell you, I, and I think I speak for a lot of people. The early 2000s are rough for image comics. And and I'll, let me expand it. The early 2000s are rough for comic books, period. There was a yeah. period where I thought Marvel was on really shaky ground. DC's on shaky ground. I'm on record as at San Diego Comic-Con 2000 was the lowest ebb in terms of energy, in terms of uncertainty about where the business was going. Um, obviously, that it was in the echo of the... The, the distribution wars were still being felt, the fallout of all that, lower sales. But Image in particular was really struggling and it was hard because, you know, having been there in those boom years, knowing what, what, what the company was capable of. And so then a guy like you comes in and you have these, I mean, you get a superhero line. And, and again, your superhero books extend to Tech Jacket. I picked that up. You got Brit. I mean, you definitely had Capes, Invincible you know, turned out to be the, the, the powerhouse. And then you got coming with walking dead, which is very unique. And I've said, you, you, you turned me on to the zombie genre period. Never had I seen, I guess I saw thriller. I saw Michael Jackson act like a zombie in his music video, but I didn't encounter any of that stuff. So, so you've taken the business by storm. And I, I really do believe I, I, if there was another book, I would say powers by Bendis uh, powers, Walking Dead, Invincible, really usher in this new era for image. It, it, you gave it stability. That's that's my personal opinion as a fan. Um, and and because suddenly I'm buying more image comics, and they all have your name on them. Whether it's a Brit, you know, Squarebound, what, uh, you know, The Walking Dead's, um, Invincible, Capes. Literally, I, 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 you became such an identifiable name that I'm buying all your books. And I'm checking you out and, and then having met you and you're quite the charming lad yourself, <laughs> so then I was even more engaged in, in your career. But um, I guess what I'm saying is, so, so then, then, then you are handed the golden scepter, like come and be a part. I mean, you earned that, man. I, I, you earned that. That is, I mean, that that's a huge deal. And uh, so, so after your, you know, Voted in, and I mean, is there a con uh, what are the congratulations like? Uh, are there congratulations? Okay, I, I, I'm trying to paint this in the least awkward way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it was it was all I had ever wanted in life, <laughs> you know. So it's But I mean, Image Comics was a huge part of my comic reading experience. <clears throat> um, you know, I I I started reading comics in about 1990, 89, 90. Uh, Image Comics formed uh, not two years into my comic reading, uh, uh, you know, journey, and I started reading comics at. I mean. But the way that worked was like when I read the Youngblood annual, uh, yeah, yeah, shit, Eric was, yeah, was it called Youngblood annual or was it something young? I, I forget, but I anyway, think it was uh, yeah, and you guys were doing a Kazar riff, yep. I didn't, I didn't know that, yep. So then when Mark Wade, I, it might have been when Mark Wade and, and Andy Kubert were doing the Kazar run, but it could have been before that when I finally discovered Kazar and the Savage Land, I'm like. That's that shit from the uh, Youngblood Yearbook is what it was called. I was like, that's that stuff there from Youngblood go. Yearbook. Like, what are, what are yeah. they doing? They're totally ripping off Chap Yap and Rob and, and Eric Stevenson. I think Eric Stevenson scripted that. Uh, uh, and, uh, character, I actually don't own uh, that 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 character is Eric and Chaps. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's totally Kazar. It's totally Savage Land, which is totally, you know, Tarzan and Turok and everything that came before it. So we are, this is the history of the Echo, as I have talked about on this podcast. Which yes. again, Every image really guy. screwed it up Sadly. for the for the harumph. I call them the harumph harumphs. Oh, harumph harumph. Um, you know, because I got lectured on by one of the harumph harumphs. Why? Why the Squadron Supreme and the Imperial Guard? Those were okay. That was okay for Marvel to co-opt the Imperial, the Legion of Superheroes, with the huge talent that that was driving the Legion of Superheroes to new popularity, Dave Cockrum, it was okay for them to introduce and mimic all of them and call them the Imperial Guard because those guys were friends and they shared drinks on the weekends. I'm like, yeah. but Marvel now monetizes them. And it's okay that the Squadron Supreme, which is a complete person-by-person -person echo, Aquaman, Amphibian, Adam, Tom Thumb, you know, uh, Golden Archer, Green Arrow, like, it's okay because those guys were friends. And it's like, no, no, no. You taught a group of kids who didn't have access to that from Anaheim, California, that, oh, these, you know, and, and my, my, my son the other day was pointing out a similarity in a character from a comic book he picked up from my stack, not produced by me, but to another existing character. And I, I said, hey, man, Shazam was, was, you know, Shazam and Superman had lawsuits over who was stealing from whom. I mean, this is gone. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the thing that people don't understand. The echoes in comics go back to the 30s. It's just that we've forgotten the characters that were echoes of other characters. You know, like, isn't Spider-Man red and blue because of Superman? Right. So exactly. you could argue that Spider-Man is, to a certain extent, an echo of Superman. I mean, it, and, and to a certain extent, every superhero is, a, is an echo of Superman because it is a person who wears a weird costume because they have powers and they go out and help people. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to detract on that stuff now because it has been the core of comics since the very beginning. Yes. Oh, someone's doing this. It's popular. I'm going to turn the dial a couple notches over here, do something similar. I'm going to build a different like foundation around it. And I'm going to have something that's unique at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, it's, it's what every single person has been doing since Superman. And, and it's funny cause I know you and I both uh, watch Mandalorian. We, we generally talk about it the day it, it airs and, and we're um, old farts. Well, I live in, uh, I, I mark time now by, Oh, it's two days past Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah. It's three days okay. till Mandalorian. So, no, that's, that's how I'm living now. Dude. I, for that eight weeks, 10 weeks, I'm, I'm living the same life. We're living the same life lockstep with you, man. The thing is we talked about 
the, 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 the giant spiders in the snow in episode two of season two. And I saw that afternoon. Everyone's trying to pin where this spider came from. And one guy thinks it comes from some Cronenberg story. And one guy thinks it came from the, and you know, it's, it's part of also this echo thing is everybody wants to point out that they have the answer. They know the source and sourcing's fun. Sourcing's great. And I've totally careened us off the subject because you were talking about the Youngblood yearbook Sorry. and the Kazar guy. No, I, I, no, you were oh, making- and, 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 but that's, 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 that's my era of comics and my yeah. era of comics is built around image comics. So then to be at image comics and be doing image comics and for those comics to be successful and then to become a partner, uh, just, you know, absolutely insane. Um, I had, I had dreams as a child, <laughs> which is absolutely embarrassing and ridiculous. I would wake up from dreams where I was at an image partners meeting, you know, because I was reading image comics right. nonstop when I was, you know, 14, 13, and, uh, uh, and I, I would have these dreams where I like, you know, cause you would read wizard magazine and see the pictures of all you guys together and hear the stories of different, you know, meetings and things like that, where everybody's together. And I'd just be like, Oh my God, just to be in a room with all those guys would be so great. Uh, and now I do that. And sometimes it's boring. Oh, you know, <laughs> what, what, no, well, you, when you talk about, uh, see, when you talk about and what you saw in the wizard magazines and this is just dawning on me, what we, what we had when we started image was a tremendous sense of camaraderie. That That is the word, camaraderie. Even some of us who were maybe not as close when we worked together at Marvel, suddenly we had this camaraderie, and that camaraderie really defined the company for the early years, the first two and three years. And so, you know, by the time, again, you know, you're doing your thing, that camaraderie has been, uh, you know, it, it's lost. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't resonate. It's not something you can pick up on through through the, the press anymore. The appearances go down. I mean, Jim and myself are gone, but I can tell you when you moderated that panel at Emerald City a couple years back with all of us, except for Jim, that camaraderie was back. It It is, it, it, it is. So I, look, I love the early days of Image and I understand looking back how electric they were. And it's really good that I didn't look at the early Wizard magazines for 20 years, but I have every one of them in several different boxes. And I've really been looking at the early ones because they have really crucial facts, figures, stuff that's not available. Like that, they, they actually, some of their charts, their graphs, their rankings, uh, interviews, information, those, those, those are really valuable, but you can really see the camaraderie was, you know, communicated through that. So I can see where a kid would be like, which you were, would be like, Oh man, this would be cool to, to jam with these guys. And then of course you're the new, you're the lead singer. <laughs> you're like, hey, David Lee Roth, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Um, um, Sammy H Van Halen is no more. Van Hagar, I know you're too young for that, but I was talking to my wife after Eddie Van Halen died. You do not understand. Sammy Hagar had his own career. He had his own, you know, it wasn't a big, he, he had some I you can't drive 55, Google it, look it up. It was it was his one biggest catchy i'm familiar it, i didn't grow up in a bunker. well that, that's my high school i mean I, i'm i'm 15 or 16 when i can't drive 55 comes out but then when he joins van halen and literally they would go to david lee roth concerts and wave around the van halen only flags and then then at the van halen concert it was van hagar and it was just again because i do believe image comics the early guys are very akin to we were a band with four or five 
or seven lead singers. <laughs> so no, honestly, <laughs> you know, I don't make it, look, look, I, I'm glad that look, Mark is in it, from what I can tell. And I love Mark. My love for his work and his talent is, is well known. He is in a kind of a state of semi-retirement until he isn't. He literally has not drawn a comic, I think in seven years. Um, I love Eric. Uh, I, I think what he's accomplished is amazing. Valentino is all, also in kind of semi-retirement, but Todd has roared back and awakened uh, in the last couple of years, which for a long time, Robert, I'm telling you from outside looking in, just being a fan, in, you know, but your, your growth, your, I mean, your exponential growth. I mean, Skybound. I mean, it's a giant label. It has come to really, you know, if we're not going to say dominate, because I would say dominate, but yeah, I don't want anybody to get mad. I don't want you to get mad at me for saying it because I'm not trying to stir this pot. You contributed <laughs> greatly um, to the 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 image that we are now that we are in now, and uh, it, it's awesome, man. It's awesome to see. And 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 like I said, I'm a fan. Uh, I, I'm 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 buying Firepower. I think it's it, it's like a book I did not see coming from you. Um, I grew up. David Carradine was in a show called Kung Fu, where it was like a western with karate. You know, he's wandering yeah. from Western Town to Western Town, snatched the pebble from my hand, guy. Um, and and there's a flavor that you've captured in that book of an era you didn't exist in. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, I'm reading a book that kind of feels like 1975, like tonally with this these these monks and this mountain and this guy and and Robert is writing it now and he's he was not around for those so uh yeah but I've watched great. that stuff no it's great it's great I also love I had come through the legend continues in the 90s so there you go there you go um I I, I don't even know what you're saying I don't know what that is um David so, Carradine came back and did a sequel show no, he did not. That is a lie. That yes, is not true. yes. And he okay. had a son. Yes. Blind spot. I felt that's a blind spot. I am ensconced in my original. I did not even know that, Robert. Yeah. I did not. It was even. Uh, it was syndicated around the same time as like Xena and and uh, Hercules. Did how how long did it run? Was it a season two? At least two seasons. Wow. Maybe three. Okay, dude. I know what I'm doing when we. I said up. that definitively, but I really don't know. It could have been not one. Right. But, um, like I said, it's just a different, it's a different, um, flex for you. you it's, it's, it's not anything like, uh, any, you know, I, I really do. The, the cool thing, Robert, is you, you really are dedicated to producing a large volume of comics. You write them yourself. Uh, you did not hand off production of walking dead to someone else. You have, uh, you know, or invincible, both of their runs, you did them all. I mean, I know how it haunted Eric that we did Image X month and he, you know, skipped an issue so much that he went back and was it issue 13, 13. He redid it so that he would have the entire run. So that's admirable. The best. And the fact, the fact yeah. that you, you know, like I said, you, you could have easily, I mean, look, we live in a, and you know this because you have met my son who is a walking dead uh, fanatic from the show. Uh, and, and, and you know how the magic that that, cast on him and uh and and we know we we live in i can't even keep up with who's producing which show now is this guy i mean there are infinite amount of walking deads it, it feels like you know walking dead saved image and walking dead robert kirkman saved image and walking dead saved amc um and uh and like <laughs> they're like we need another walking dead show uh i mean it's it's 
I'm I, I'm waiting for the Walking Dead TV show from the zombie perspective. I think that would be a pretty boring show, but I think before this you know, is man, over, we'll probably get some get cinema verite in there, and and you don't know what's you don't know what 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 we can accomplish. But um, the thing is, like you in the comic book, uh, like I said, you're you're just a a tremendous writer, a tremendous voice. Now you alluded already to your time at Marvel. And there's only one thing I have. I, I, I have a question about that. that it, it's funny. I think we've talked about it. I don't have a definitive. I don't know what you're going to say here. Man, sure. I hope you did attend one of these. Did you attend a Marvel summit while you were working at Marvel? I attended one Marvel okay. summit. And I have to say, uh, you know, possibly could have. Trying to figure out how to word this. This is an interesting story that I've never really told publicly. Okay. Um, I, I went to one Marvel retreat. Uh, uh, what year? Uh, I don't know, man. 2007, 2006. It was like, it, it was right before, it was like maybe a year or two before I left. So it had to be 2006 or 2007. Um, it was when they were developing World War Hulk. So it was it was before that. And, um, you know, to complain a little bit, like I am a uh, polite Southern gentleman. And at no point had I ever been in a writer's room and ever experienced anything like this. And they did not say anything to me. They were just like, hey, so uh, we're doing a writer's retreat. We want you to come. You know, we think you'd be a good addition. Uh, can you come to New York on this day, this day? And I'm like, absolutely. I totally can. I was writing Ultimate X-Men at the time, and I think I, ha I hadn't started Irredeemable Ant-Man. I don't even remember what I was doing at the time, to be honest. Maybe I hadn't started Ultimate X-Men, but, but I wasn't doing any important books at the time. So any of the books that I was writing, I was not they, – they, they didn't come up. Like it, it, they weren't like a center of the universe. And so I thought the purpose of the meeting – was to pitch your books and your ideas and, 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 you know, talk to people about them. And the first day, Greg Pak and Mark Panisha pitched uh, the World War Hulk stuff and Dan Slott and Brian Bendis and... Uh, yeah, who's I there? Think, I, think, I, think Jeff, I think Jeff Loeb was there. Straczynski was there. Um, uh, uh, I think Mike Carey was there. Uh, oh, fast. Okay, Mike Carey. I think he did some X Men work. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he's a great writer. Um, okay. I think he went into novels. He, he's like a novelist now. Okay, but uh, um, but but Dan Slott and Brian Bendis just ripped World War Hulk apart, which I guess is what that room is for. So I'm sitting there just blown away, and they're just like, "That doesn't work because this character does this, and this character acts this way, and I, they would never do that, and that's not how that works." And and Greg Pak is just like defending. Well, no, I mean it's because of this and this and this. And it got heated, and it took the entire day. And so I just sat there the entire day, like, uh, wait, what, what, what are we, what are we doing? Like, what, what is this? Like, I, am, am I supposed to yell at this guy? Like, I, I, it sounded okay to me. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Uh, and so, and then that night, I think uh, Brian Bendis pulled me aside and was like, hey, "Dude, like, uh, yeah, don't be so nervous. Speak, speak up more." And I'm like, "Oh, oh, oh okay, sure." Uh, and so then, like the second day, I maybe chimed in a couple of times. I don't know. Maybe this would work. Uh, maybe try this. Uh, uh, nothing of substance. Nothing. Of great. 
and uh, uh and and but, but like they never asked me about my books they never asked me what i had planned and i had like whole plans whole spiels ready for whatever i was doing at the time uh, Who is the who's huh? the who's the editor-in-chief at that time oh uh joe casada joe casada was there that is very important joe casada was there and joe casada was very disappointed with me and so after wah, the, wah, uh, wah. okay sorry <laughs> Uh, so, so, um, so like after the retreat, I get an email from Joe Casada that is basically saying, uh, I'm really disappointed in you. Like we flew you to New York. We wanted your ideas. You didn't speak up at all. You didn't chime in. It was a real waste of our money. It was a real waste of our time. Like, you know, you didn't perform, uh, you were an absolute embarrassment. Like, I don't know if he went that far. Oh my gosh. But, uh, uh, yeah. No, I don't think he, I don't think he went that far, but, uh, but he basically like chewed me out a little bit. And so I wrote him back and I said, I completely understand. I am very sorry. Um, you know, like I, I, I just didn't know what was expected of me. No one told me I'm very polite. Like if people are chewing somebody I'm out, very I'm sorry, but please on. watch my number one show. That'll be out in a few months. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> Right. Well, that plays into this. So, so, uh, and I, and I tell him, I say, look, next time you guys have a retreat, I will fly myself to New York. I will put myself up in a hotel. You guys don't have to pay for my way. Like I will just be a ghost in the room. I will completely make it up to you. Now that I know what you expect of me, I promise you I can do this. Let me come and prove myself. Right. And he was like, that's very nice of you. We'll consider it. And then the next retreat comes and goes, they never invite me. Uh, and you know, like uh, in the halls of Marvel, I know there's a lot of chatter that have gotten back to me of, oh, you know, Robert just couldn't hack it. You know, that guy just, he just couldn't do it. You know, he, 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 he face planted, uh, which, you know, is fairly accurate. That's fine. But the, the, the key to this is that a, a short, like year later, I am invited to be in the writer's room of walking dead season one, uh, because, you know, I'm an executive producer on the show. I created the comic and, I was very involved in the comic, but this needs to be 100% clear. When you are a comic book writer, people in Hollywood do not respect you. There have been numerous comic book writers who I will not name who have gone on to write pilots and various different things, and they have been just absolutely trashed. Uh, people at studios will badmouth them. Comic book writers can't write TV, blah, 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 blah. At the time, this was very much the, the thinking. Um, it has changed a little bit. Uh, you know, you got guys like Ed Brubaker succeeding wildly, writing on, you know, uh, uh, Westworld and doing a bunch of stuff and Brian K. Vaughn, you know, thriving on Lost. But this was this was, you know, uh, uh, around the same time Brian K. Vaughn was on Lost. But but, you know, he was like the outlier. And so I was involved contractually, but my expansion in involvement on The Walking Dead was very much based on my performance. And so uh they invited me to, you know, sit in on the writer's room and write one episode, but you know, that could have been it for me. Like that was my contractual obligation, but because of how everything had gone in the, in the Marvel uh, uh, editorial retreat, I flew out to LA and I hit that writer's room, which was, uh, you know, it was Chick Egley, uh, uh, Jack LaJudas, uh, Adam, uh, shit, Totally blanking on that last name. Uh, but it was like seasoned uh, uh, TV writers who had been, you know, writing TV for forever. And they were all, you know, like over over 40, I think. Uh, uh, and so 
you know, it was like, uh, it was like a bunch of like, you know, like, like solid writing dudes that had been doing it forever. And, uh, uh, and I just, I just hit the ground running on the first day. I think they spoke for maybe like a minute before I started interrupting people and, oh, I think we could do this. I think I've always wanted to do this. I've, I've never had an opportunity to use like motion and sound in the show. I think we could have the zombies behave this way. I think we could do this. I think this could happen this way. Uh, you know, we killed this character in the, in the, in the comic. Let's keep him alive in the show. Uh, you know, I'm pitching ideas nonstop. Uh, uh, and I, I don't think I shut up like the entire, (laughs) the entire first day. And the thing about like being a comic book writer is that, um, you're on your own, you're by yourself and that's not normal for TV writing. So what that gives you is like, I can, I can generate story very quickly because, you know, you're talking about it. I've done like, you know, 17 different comics at this point. And, and, you know, I'm writing capes and I'm like, okay, this guy has to do this, 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 and this that's generating story. And then the next day I'm writing, you know, walking dead or invincible or something else. And I have to come up with things that are interesting that happen to these characters that move the story forward. And so you kind of have like this innate uh, ability that is very valuable in a writer's room to just, you know, like, spin things off and okay okay if this happens then this happens and this happens and if this happens to this character then this happens and this happens and this happens and it ends up being you know fairly impressive in a, in a writer's room environment when when someone can just spout off you know different things because uh, uh with tv writing it's it's more collaborative and you work together on it so people are usually going well what if this happens and then somebody else goes well what about this and then and then no, and they and they build it together. So to have somebody in a writer's room who can build an entire subplot or build an entire storyline uh, like on their own and then let the writer's room pick it apart and make it better and tear it apart is, is very valuable. And so uh, Chick Egley, who was running the room, uh, you know, really liked me. And uh, they asked me to move to L.A. and be in the writer's room full time on season one. Uh, and I didn't want to leave Kentucky. Uh, and then there were some troubles between season one and two that I won't get into. And, and it became a, a apparent that I was you know, possibly a little more needed in L.A. than I was on season one. Uh, and so between season one and season two, I actually you know, made the move out to L.A. to be in the writer's room full time. But I would if, if, if I had not bombed so badly in the Marvel editorial retreat, I would have behaved the way I did in the editorial retreat on season one of the walking dead, I would have sat back. I would have been polite. I would have been listening to everybody. I would have been waiting until they asked me what I thought, which is not normal. Uh, and I probably would not have impressed them. And I probably would not have moved out to LA and been in the writer's room full time and been a much more active presence on the show. And so I, I need to thank Joe Casada for being such a dick to me because it changed my life. <laughs> yeah, Robert. I, okay. First of all, that is a great story. I have never heard that story. Um, and, and, and I, can see, I have never told that story. No, no. I, I can see where it forged you. You are forged, you know, in, in those fires. And, uh, you know, look, everything you said about Hollywood writers. And now I could invite Joe Casada to direct an episode of the walking dead. If I wanted to, there you go. There you go. Dude, <laughs> come on. you know, it, uh, that's the other thing. You just don't know when the power is going to shift. And, um, you know, I, look, I was very young when I got into comics, and as, as were you. Uh, I was one of the youngest people in comics when I got in. Um, that, that that that's something to to that that I was 
repeatedly reminded of and and you didn't earn your way and you haven't earned your keep and all, even as my books are selling and I'm like huh but I'm gonna tell you something about these the reason I, I literally okay I'm gonna tell you I just wanted to know I wanted a roll call of who was there and maybe what it was like what did they serve um man that that's that's gonna go down as the best question I ever asked anybody um <laughs> because I, that was fantastic. But I'm going to tell you something. The closest thing we got to a writer's room, and this is after X-Men and X-Force have sold millions, charted number one. Um, yes, it's my contractual responsibility every time that I say that. Um, and I, I hope it annoys people. But the thing is, um, we had the meeting, the X-Men editorial meeting, that uh, X-Men Summit that was going on around the, the, the same time the, the Sotheby's auction was going on where Jim's X-Men number one and my X-Force number one were going up for auction. So it, was, it gave us even more of a impetus to get out there. Maybe Jim had mentioned to Bob that that would be a great time to have it, have it. Cause it, there's no way it was like a coincidence. Um, and honestly, I, there was a period I felt like Jim Lee was running the X-Men office right there that last six, seven months. And uh, so I, it doesn't, I can't rule out that, that those, the timing of that was probably pure Jim, regardless it's, it's myself, it's Jim, it's Mark. The only writer I remember being very loud the whole time was Peter David. And it's like, he wanted to let us know he was there. He wanted to let us know he had ideas. And I fidgeted because in my, I was checked out. And I think they were frustrated that Jim and I didn't contribute hardly at all because we were leaving. And, and Mark wasn't sure yet. So Mark actually of the artists there was speaking out the most of what he would like to see with Wolverine. But the, the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is I just, I didn't do, if, if I was graded on my performance in that room and here's the deal, I don't like these creative summit room ideas and every Marvel one that I've heard described to me is what you kind of how you put it. And, and, and where, where a couple of voices go at each other. And, and, and I think there's giant ego rages. I've, I've heard firsthand giant ego rages. And here's the thing that you walked into and you know this, you know, especially in that early era of Bendis, Bendis had the golden chair. He was the anointed. They had put all their eggs in his basket. He got the choice assignments. He got the, you know, Mark Miller had forged his own path. And I think Civil War was a giant, massive, like overwhelming success. So now they're trying to follow it up. That's what you're at. You're at like, how do we follow up this giant Civil War? But, um, you know, yeah. So, so, so you're in the room that it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking of like, you know, come on, Casada, what are you doing? Robert is just getting his feet wet here. And then you're asking him to go toe to toe with these guys who, who already know that they are very much bulletproof. They have the large scale contracts, the support. And when I say the golden chair, Todd and I used to talk about, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> Todd and I used to talk about <clears throat> being mama's number one. And uh, and that's, that's a that's my favorite quote. That's, well, it's completely. Oh, you know, this is going to be a terrible talk because uh, my voice is trashed. Uh, he, he he was never Mama's number one. Never. It, it's always said with a bit of contempt. Todd gets a little snarl in there. It's never said like, "Oh, Mama's number." It's he was never Mama's number one, and it's kind of like this shame that you hang around here. You weren't Mama's number one and she knows it and uh, and the thing is that you were walking into a meeting where bendis was mama's number one and he knows it so he can get oh, big yeah. yell and 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 tell you you know that he could be very concerned about you and you know post 
Marvel. That that's just that that was something that was awarded to him from the minute I think he he walked in the door. And and we all watched as fans. But yeah, Marvel Summits. That's wow, Robert. I love that the like you said that that experience powered you into um because because weren't you writing an episode a season also in the early years of season of one of walking dead yeah yeah i i had i had contractually I, I had the opportunity to write a draft of the of of one of the episodes and that's why they had me out to the writer's room to help develop you know to okay. develop that episode and then write my draft okay and a quick pivot because right before the pandemic uh, I had the pleasure of having lunch with you and your son and Corey Walker. And you said, do you want to see some Invincible? And you Can showed- I, just, I just have to, st- I'm going to stop you before you get into this story. Because while we were at that delicious Mexican restaurant, you, you walked by a table to go to the bathroom and you looked at these people at this table and you said, Hey, what do you have? <laughs> that looks good. Well, you, you know, and then you came back. No, stop. And then you came back. And you sat down, and my son ordered a ordered. So my son watched that, and then he's fourteen, and he, he adores you. But then he orders a veggie burrito, and when he orders a veggie burrito, you look at him and you go, "Boring." <laughs> I'm sorry, Nolan. I'm sorry. He still talks about it. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. That 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 is like oh man, the damage that I don't even know I'm doing. Right? I mean. It's just, but look, when you see something, I have come to learn when you see something, because my wife, she'll be like, oh, look at that. I said, what do you look at? We're at a restaurant. She'll look at somebody else's plate. Oh, look at what's on their plate. Don't, don't look, go ask. What is that? I may want to order that. People love to talk about their food too, right? I mean, but, but no, that, that was a very fun experience. I'm sorry. I scarred Nolan in the veggie. No, no, it was the best. We went to Frankenstein's. We had a great day. It was a lot of fun. And, and, uh, and, and you showed me a clip, uh, and I hope that doesn't get you in trouble. Uh, uh, I won't even specify what clip it was. I was blown away. It was like great Japanese animation. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember early on a year prior, you would show me like animatics, not even just animatics of Invincible flying. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so everyone is very excited about the Invincible cartoon, this ridiculous all-star cast of like voices. Like it's, it's beyond stacked. Um, like, 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 I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed. I see all their faces. I see none of their names. Um, uh, but, but, uh, uh, Stephen Young, Sandra O, oh, J.K. Simmons, uh, Walton Goggins, uh, Gillian Jacobs, Zazie Beats, uh, Dominic, Zazie. Seth. W- which Seth is in it? Oh, Seth. Seth Rogen is playing. Seth Rogen. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, it's 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 it's, it's, it's going to be crazy. Ridiculous cast. Um, the animation is fantastic. You finally were able to break it, I think, for the New York Comic Con online or whatever that was, whatever you were yes. celebrating. And uh, now here's my question, because I've, I've, what I've seen looks phenomenal. The trailer looked phenomenal. People are, I mean, I, I just, if, if you, like, I don't have a Walking Dead number one. I have Invincible number one. It's bagged. It's boarded. My collector. <laughs> I've never, you know, other than selling Todd's Spider-Man number one run the day it came out, which I've chronicled, I've never sold a comic book. Like, so, so I'm, I'm just, I just like knowing I have these things, but how many episodes, uh, and, and you better at least say you did one, um, of Invincible, the cartoon, did you write? Oh, uh, I wrote the premiere and the finale of season one. So I wrote the first episode and the eighth episode. Love it. Eight episodes. Okay. And, and, and do we have a date on that yet? 
We do not have a date on that yet, but I, I mean, I know a date on it, but we're not publicizing it yet as to uh, heightened anticipation, I guess, but uh, uh, it will be known fairly soon, I believe. That's huge. And I mean, you know, it Amazon gets all the eyeballs, man. Uh, you know, <laughs> we shop there, we watch there. I can't even imagine how big it's going to be. In yeah. the I can get my paper towels and I can get my Borat from the same place. <laughs> That's it. And uh, I'm telling you, man, because uh, I have a kid raised on anime. D d I mean, you know, gets a girlfriend, has to turn her on to anim anime. He loves anime. I told him about Invincible. He is completely uh, focused, hyped from the trailer. Dad delivered. I didn't, you know, did mislead him. I, I think it's going to just be this tremendous. Uh, I, I can't even imagine what, what it's going to do for the entire, like, backlog of existing invincible comics so you know i i it, it'd be great if you brought it back by popular demand so i'm i'm just uh, i'm just jumping ahead here i'm jumping ahead here um so so well, let me announce invincible's return here no i'm, I'm kidding uh, uh, i will say that i do miss that book uh, uh tremendously i think about it often hey you and Corey and ryan so so here's my other question in in regards to your drawing so i i, I was wow. looking at my, my walking dead covers book you did a book about the covers, um, yeah. cause they were, come on, that book had some of the best covers and there are some notes in there where you're like, ah, this is based on my sketch. Um, how many covers and interior situ like, like there, I don't want to, I, I'm fairly certain that there's a sequence in invincible that I really liked and I told you about it and yes. I won't even say which of the two artists drew it, but you said, I laid that out. Have there been instances like that, that you, <laughs> lay out a sequence for an artist with like stage it stick figures or is there times you do that? Uh, I mean, I don't do it ever now, but okay. back then okay. I did it all the time. Okay. So, so back you know, yeah, I mean, I would, you know, like, I think, I mean, artists wouldn't follow them exactly, but I laid out a lot of covers. I think from most covers back then I would, do some kind of a terrible sketch and then I would send it to an artist and be like, yeah, I like something like this. I know that, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, I laid out the cover to walk again. Number one, number two, uh, I did not lay out the cover. Number three, uh, uh, number four and number five, I did layouts for, um, that, I feel like I did something for number six, the, the sequence in invent you're talking about is the famous two-page spread where uh, Mark and Nolan are fighting the Viltrumites on, uh, uh, I believe, the planet is Thraxa. Yes. Uh, and it's the and it's the four big figures fighting, and it's two 16-panel grids behind them yes. of the fight That's while it. you have these massive figures fighting. And I, I wrote that in the script, and, and Ryan Otley, who drew it, was like, I, I don't know what you're asking for here. You've got a splash page, and then you're writing a bunch of panels. Like, I don't know what the fuck you want. Uh, and so I just got some paper out and I did the grid and drew the figures and, you know, sent that to him. Uh, and, and, you know, like what he does is That's cool. That's cool. Like, I'm not even like, I'm not even here to go, Oh, Robert, you are the, the author of that. It's, it's cool. I like when writers draw and give specific ideas. I've told you, the Alan, best, Moore, the best Alan writers Moore. in comics yeah. have some kind of rudimentary, uh, uh, ability to draw. Um, and never mind the fact that the best writers in comics are writer artists, uh, yep. you know, Frank Miller, best among them. 
But, uh, but Alan, Alan Moore, Alan Moore can draw comic book pages. They're, they're yes. not that great, but but he can draw comic book pages. Uh, like you say, Donna Keith can draw. Brian Bendis can draw. Ed Brubaker can draw. Rick Remender can draw. Uh, um, you know, and and I wanted to be an artist, uh, and so um, you know, I laid out I laid out a hundred percent of Battle Pope. Like every page of Battle Pope is based on my layouts because I didn't know how to write. I would just draw a bad version of a page, and then I would actually send that drawing to the artist and be like, "Draw this." Uh, and they had it had like little word balloons drawn in with with rude, like like proto okay. dialogue that would that would end up in there. Um, and and so so yeah, like that's how I learned how to write was by drawing the pages myself. Before you did what you're saying with Battle Pope, and you laid out and and, and like you basically made your own. Robert Kirkman comic for then an artist. Yeah. Um, what is, uh, what is, what is the first time you encountered an 11 by 17 board? Like when, when did you see original art? Because that was a revelation for me too. There was an original art page hanging in my comic store's wall. And I asked if they could take it down and I could study it. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, this is how comics are made at this size. Cause the first thing I said is, is this how, yes, that's how they hadn't done how to draw the comic. Um, because your answer may be how to draw comics the Marvel way, which had the eleven by seventeen boards in it, and then the whole world knew. That's like eighty two, eighty three. But prior to that, like in nineteen eighty, I encountered my first page. So, did you already know, or was it something you discovered upon, you know? Holding- I, I I believe I bought blank blue line boards to draw on in high school before I ever encountered original art. Okay, in person. So, because you, you know, you from Wizard Magazine and the the great like uh, uh, Bart Sears did tutorials, and then Greg yeah, did the series of tutorials. Yep. Uh, you know, I would always read those, okay. and 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 I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be a comic book artist. I wanted to be like the Image guys, you know. Um, I wanted to write and draw my own books, and so oh. all of my free time in high school was spent creating my own characters, my own worlds, coming up with backstories, plots and things like that, designing characters. Um, I, 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 I focused almost exclusively on basically drawing model sheets for new characters. Like that's all I would draw. So I spent like two or three years only drawing like characters standing up, like, like in a certain angle so that you could see what their costume looks like. And that's why I was such a poor artist because I never drew the fundamentals and drew people doing anything. Um, and so, um, so I mean, even now, like I, I did layout pages, but they wouldn't get past cylinder figures. Like I can draw cylinder figures like fairly well. No, no, well, no, you but- can draw more than cylinder figures. I, I'm going to show in my news and notes for this episode that, that I have five of your cover layouts and I'm going to, they're cool, man. I, I bet that they're right here. Um, I, I, I look at them often. It's cool. I've got a little piece of you, but it's a piece of you that not everybody understands exists that you, you, and they're better than cylinder figures. I'm, I got Mohawks. I got masks. I got swords. I, dude, I got hair on these pictures. So, so, but, um, but I will say about the original art though, the, the first time, so I would, I had drawn on blue line pages and I had draw I had started writing and drawing my own, like terrible comic pages and stuff in high school. And then right out of high school, before I started battle Pope, you know, before I started my, my actual comic career, uh, I found a guy online uh, that was selling uh, uh, Revenge of the Sinister Six, uh, Eric Larson Spider-Man pages from, uh, he, was, he was out of Italy. And there were two uh, nine panel grid pages that I still have, They're the first original art I've ever bought. And I bought them from him, I want to say for like $50 a piece or like $100 a piece. Like they, they weren't, they were very, you know, 
uh, affordable. Uh, I mean, two hundred dollars back then would would break the bank, but but yeah. you know, it, I could I could do it. Uh, and so and so I got those. And I have to say to any aspiring artists out there, you know, buy those IDW artist editions, uh, uh, get a few of them, because seeing the page and seeing how the line art looks before it is shot down and tightened is uh, is life changing. And if I had had that art years earlier when I was still drawing, uh, you know, I, I would have been a much better artist. I don't know if I would have been actually good, but seeing the way that lines don't connect and seeing the way that the brush strokes contru- construct the image uh, and being able to pour over that stuff in detail is is invaluable if you want to be a comic book artist. And, and, and if you try to become a comic book artist without it, like you're you're missing a step. This this raises the ire of IDW, unfortunately. But I'm I'm not uh, the 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 graffiti designs has done two oh, of better. very best. Of these books, the, the, the IDW yeah. has the volume, they have the quantity, they have the wider selection. But Ronin and Dark Knight by by Frank Miller, and you, and they have these overlays where you see all the redrawing that, yes. that Frank did, uh, piggybacking on your all of piggybacking on what you're saying. All of the art editions, no matter where they come from, and IDW has a vast, awesome selection. But do not sleep on graffiti designs; they are equal to. Um, and, and again, like I said, I, I couldn't imagine if I encountered these as a kid, Robert, Robert literally uh, again. So, so, you know, I didn't even know they were drawn 11 by 17. I was drawing my own comics, Aqua Force, um, and, 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 and they were on it, you know, folded sheets of paper. So, I mean, that that's just, it's, it's just an interesting realization. Um, you know, so I, I just, I, I was curious when you had made that encounter. Cause even like you said, when I got my first page and I saw the 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 way the ink laid on the board and what was brushed, what was pinned, oh man, I heard George Perez and Terry Austin used technical pens. Well, for the next birthday and Christmases, I got nothing but rapidiographs and technical pens. Because again, you're trying to emulate. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I was living that life too. I mean, I had the Hunt 102, you know, quill uh, uh, that everybody was inking with in the nineties. And, and I was just like, this is just scratching holes in the fucking paper. I don't understand how anyone a hard tool. Yep. draws with this thing. Like what the hell? Uh, and I have a few drawings that are just dug into the paper. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I think I eventually got a little better at using it once they like break in and stuff. But, um, but yeah, you know, you, you grow up thinking like, oh, if I can just get the thing that they use, then I'll be able to do what they do. But it, then you find it. out that Sam Keith is inking pages with a toenail and you're like, oh, yep. fuck, I guess it's not yep. the, uh, that, that's it's it. not the that's material. It. it. I mean, the tools are fun. The tools are definitely fun. I mean, I, I, a buddy of mine who inks and I see the guys working over right now and it, there's no way to compensate for all the lines that are going on that page. That, and, and I know how much that thumb hurts. I, I think he's in his late thirties, early forties. When I used to hunt one Oh two, I was in my twenties and my thumb hurt. And I was trying to do a certain amount of detail, but these guys like that is that, that your thumb hurts your finger, those tools, especially the hunt one Oh two to get what you wanted and manipulate it the certain way. And I just go, man, cause Steven Platt gotta be honest he introduced me to markers and the lines he got on the markers were like lines. I'd never seen anybody. Like I literally, and it completely changed. I eventually went completely away from hunt one Oh twos by the year 2000 and have been just markers for, you know, ever since. And, and you can do, yeah, I've, got, I've got a couple of purple profit pages. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. Oh, maybe he wasn't using the right markers. Scold, scold. Hey, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. This has been like beyond, Amazing. I, I I have a couple 
of, of, of wrap up questions. Yeah, let's and, do it. Um, I have plenty of time. The, 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 what is your favorite licensed item from anything that you've produced? Uh, you know, and it, and it doesn't matter if you made it cause I know you have a toy division as well, but what is, cause you know, I, I, we all as fans, we love seeing this stuff in 3d. And is there a favorite, whether it's walking dead, invincible, whatever, uh, super dinosaur, is there one that you like the most? Uh, I mean, the super dinosaur stuff is the most fun. I think the cartoon was everything that I wanted it to be. And there's actually a, a toy line with many figures that is, that is super cool. I think it was mostly available in Canada, uh, uh, because that, that show didn't take off in the U S like I wanted it to. Um, but, uh, uh, but you know, just this, you know, fun kid stuff, like the, the dinosaur with the giant mechanical arms and stuff like everything turned out great on that. Uh, the telltale walking dead game is probably the licensed thing I'm the most proud of just because it was, okay. you know, so well done and, 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 yeah. you know, made me look great, even though I didn't do very much work on it, which is what you want out of a, uh, a licensed thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to sit back and be like, Oh yes, you know, I only wanted to craft the best video game possible. And it's like, eh, it was all kind of, you know, I mean, you know, you did a little bit of effort to get it where it was, but it was mostly uh, uh, accidental, but, uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, the c absolute coolest thing I think is the Michonne statue that McFarlane did. Uh, just because do you remember in the, I, I want to say it's the late nineties, early two thousand star Wars did this thing called star Wars unleashed where the characters yes. had like these like fake statue looking things that has, I, I, I have the Boba Fett one. Yeah, I have, I have, I, I have yeah. the Darth Vader. I have all those. So they were just absolutely nuts. Like these crazy action shots and the yes. lightsabers looked real weird. And it was like, just real, like, you know, kind of anime influence stuff. And so when Todd was going to do statues, I was like, I want to do a Michonne statue. But I want it to be like, you know, because The Walking Dead is fairly plain and real world and people trying to survive a fairly real existence in, in a zombie infested world. So I was like, no, I want Michonne to be like doing a karate kick. And I want her to have two swords, even though she only has one sword, because two swords is cooler. Yep. I, I, I swear by that. Yeah. Katanas and she's hacking up zombies and there's blood flying everywhere. And I just thought that was the, the coolest thing. Uh, so, called those the, the force unleashed in the Michonne. It's like a swirl of action. It's if yes. it was a voiceover commercial, uh, comes with swirl of action. Um, and no, you're right. I've seen that Michonne statue. It is fantastic. It, that is, uh, you're like a couple of those. Like, I think there's a Negan and uh, like, the, the, well, there's the, a Negan that I, that I told them and I, I laid, I, I, I kind of dictated the, the, the posing and the designs of those two. Like I, I told them to the Negan statue is supposed to be like that, uh, that famous Frank Frazetta painting where the guy's like bare chested on the mountain yes. and he's raising the sword and lightning striking the sword. I can't remember what the painting yes. called, but I sent them, I sent them that painting and I was like, I want Negan like on a mountain of zombies, like throwing his hand up triumphant and looking awesome. And, and, uh, and it's funny the the, the statue has uh, uh, Negan like raising his fist and it looks awesome. And, uh, and Todd was like, uh, Ah, it's not it's not cool enough. Put a big uh, put a big severed zombie head in his hand. And I was just like, no, it ruins the whole statue. Like, don't do that. What are you talking about? And he's like, oh no, man, I'm telling you, the zombie head in the statue, it'll have like a it'll have like a little spinal column hanging out of the neck. It'll be cool. And it like ruins the whole like sense of motion to the statue. But there's an alternate hand you can like plug in that has a zombie head in it. And 
and I hate that hand. And every time I there see like, a little store and yeah. they have that hand like put in with the zombie head, I'm like, God damn it, Todd. Variant everything. This is what I'm talking about. Variant DVDs, yeah. variant high-end $100 statues, variant because we don't want just one choice. Literally, we do not. So, but I, I hear you. I hear you what you're saying. Like I, th there are certain statues of Cable and Deadpool and Domino that come with different heads. And I reject one of those heads outright. And, and whenever I, I'll call it the goofy Deadpool head. When I see a statue in the store, I'm like, oh shit, get, get me away from this. I can't stand that face. So I, I understand. I understand how you're feeling. Hey, and here's the deal. Robert, here is, th this is, this is going to uh, close us out for what is the, the, easily the best Rob observations ever. Um, if you slash Skybound could obtain, now think about this, any yeah. license that you could publish, uh, movie, toy, cartoon, what would that be? What would you obtain if it was available on the table, something you know, that you could, I mean, anyway, imaginary what it, it could be. Yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I would love to get my hands on transformers. I don't know that I would necessarily want to write it, but, uh, uh, just because, you know, I, I, it's not a world that I feel like I'd be good at, but I, I you know, I love transformers. I, my, transformers I, I, nonstop. I, my, my office is full of transformer statues. It's ridiculous. No. Um, but uh, like, you know, I'd love to have my hand in some transformers action. I was in that transformers writer's room for the movies briefly. Uh, that was a, a pretty awesome experience. Uh, uh, even though I was only there for eh, one day, uh, uh, cause I had, I had to leave. Uh, but, uh, 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 so transformers, but I will say, um, I love Death Race 2000. And uh, uh, if, if it was a thing that I would write that I could like update and actually like have a, a solid creative hand in, I would probably choose Death Race 2000, uh, the old uh, David Carradine and uh, St Sylvester Stallone, Roger Corman movie. I'm there. Uh, I, 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 am I, I, think, I think that that world is infinitely entertaining and there's like some crazy shit you could do with that. And I think that would be a lot of fun. So, so I'm going to say death race 2000, it, but I thought we were saying transformers. Okay. So we have two answers. I, um, I love transformers, but I, if I had to pick between the two right now, I mean, so much has been done with transformers. Ooh, ooh, so little has been done with death race, two, death race 2000 for, for the, for the 10 million people that listen to this podcast. I'm coming for you, Joe Rogan. For the 10 million people, one of them is going to reach Death Race 2000, their ear. Okay? So I, I want to be remembered as the connector when that goes down. To, oh, Robert, hey, we heard you on that uh, weirdo podcast. And uh, you said Death Race 2000. And then the next Death Race 2000, 30 covers, we're launching. Um just uh, you draw something and I'll ink it. I, I'm serious about that. I literally, Robert, I I would love to put a little extra effort in there. Have you had anything published that someone inked over you? That I, you have so many comics, it, it would not surprise me. No, I mean I did I did four pages in Spawn 200 that were basically the same thing I did for layouts. Like they were very rough. And uh, I had a cover uh, on that. Is it? it I, I think I have that in your. Is that? Did I do 250 or 200? Did I do a cover on two? You, you did a cover on two fifty, I think. Okay, okay, then then I I, I man, I, I thought, man, I'm gonna go run right after this and run and see that. Okay, I I did not know that you did interiors of Spawn. My blind spots are growing. Okay, 
And who inked yeah, it? Todd? Four, four pages. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Todd. I I feel like Greg might have uh, uh, snuck in and done some ghost penciling to to make them look a little better. And then Todd, are they on paper, or, or 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 did he do that on a Cintiq? He did the inks on a Cintiq. I actually penciled the pages on a piece of typing paper folded yeah. in half. Like I literally did exactly what I did when I was doing Battlefield layouts. And I was gonna blow them up and pencil them, and I sent the layouts to Todd, and Todd was like, "This is enough." And I was like, "Whoo." Thank God, because I don't know if I can make these look any better. Um, but uh, uh, and they're they're pretty clunky. I had a Super Patriot pinup that I did that I that I published in Super Patriot number one, so you can see a terrible drawing that I penciled and inked and and colored actually. All right, you guys uh, are so, this. So I did that. You guys need to go find these Spawn Super Patriot I, Robert. I will be joining them. Um, I'm now I go and I do a sweep of the garage with all of the books that I brought brought in. For my storage unit to have accessible, and once I now I do a sweep, I can't find it. I do what everybody else does. I sit down. I go, why didn't I just go to eBay ten minutes ago? Okay, find this, have it direct, have it delivered in a couple of days. So I, I am I am going to seek out which which Super Patriot issue, uh, America's Fighting Force number one, the first thing that uh, the first image book that I did with uh, Corey Walker. That's right. That's right. I did I did see you guys before. Okay, man, I bought that book too. I bought that book. And, and wow, that was before Invincible. Um, I, I liked Invincible better. I'm not going to lie. Invincible, <laughs> fantastic. And Robert, I, I mean, come on. So so uh, we know the Invincible cartoon is coming. We know you're um, super duper producer. Um, right now, also Oblivion Song and Firepower. What other comics are, are, are out there that, that, that people are, we just are, launched, we just launched walking dead deluxe. If you want to buy walking oh, dead again, with fantastic yes, it's awesome. Dave McKegg. It's beautiful. Who's coloring all of it. Uh, Dave McKegg. That, that, that first issue, cause I only have the first one so far is, is gorgeous. It is so beautiful. And I love all the covers. I think I bought the art Adams, the Dave Finch, the recolored original, I know I bought another one, but um, th I thank you. That that book is gorgeous. Uh, thank it's you. It's a lot of fun, and it's and it's weird how like different the book reads and looks uh, in full color. Like it's there's more there's more things you notice. There's more things that stand out. It's 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 a very different experience. I mean, I highly recommend it. I mean, I'm not just being cynical and trying to you know sell no. a product. It's 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 something I highly recommend you give a shot if you're if you're a avid Walking Dead fan because it is changing things and updating things in like a cool way without you know altering the story or anything. And Dave McCaig is one of those guys that has the complete skill set. He has the palette that is so you know if it if it's if it's warm. He, he picks the best warms if it's cold, if he mixes them. And then he's got that rendering. He doesn't over-render. He knows exactly the right amount of rendering to put on anything, to accent it. No, he's, he's um, I don't believe I've ever been colored by him. I even asked, asked you where he'd been. You told me he had been in animation for a while because I, yeah. I am. He's very, he was very active online. He had message boards. But, and then of course, to know that he'd been sequestered away, coloring hundreds of issues of Walking Dead was it's awesome. What a gift. No, seriously. The book is beautiful. Again, I cannot recommend firepower more highly. Um, it is, it is as far as a comic book, I believe iron fist peaked in, in the seventies with the John Byrne run. My love of John Byrne is well known. Um, and master of, of Kung Fu with Galassi and Mike Zek were the best kind of martial arts themed mysticism, martial arts mysticism that I'd ever read. And this is better than both of those. Uh, kid you not? Kid you not? 
Somni, you've, you've pronounced how to say his name. I used to just go, oh, Samni. And you're like, it's a psalm. And from a person who every year in high school was said, okay, and uh, and then we have with us, uh, when they're doing the roll call, Rob LaFelt, Layfeld, LaField. I'm like, <laughs> what is wrong? It's lie and it's Feld. What, what is- so I want to respect the Somni, the Somni. Um, so, so yeah, Chris Somni, yourself, killer book, Oblivion song, still going strong because I like to rhyme all day long. Okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Robert, you kicked all the ass. Thank you so much for being my first interview. Um, this was so much fun, dude. What great stories. Um, oh my oh, God. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. You have to never stop doing this podcast. Well, you're going to have to come back for round two. Round two, we got way more ground to cover. Um, but seriously, so you guys know where to find Robert um, all over the place. Um, since this is the 50th episode recording of Rob's Observations, I'm going to do my tags later on down the line. So, um, but Robert Kirkman and all of his TV movies, catch them all. Um, are we going to see that 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 um, Rick Rick Grimes Walking Dead movie, Robert? That I read I'm so about? glad you asked. We're still working on it. It's going to come out soon. The pandemic put a little bit more of a delay on it. It, 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 it should have been out by now. It, it's taking too long. We're all very sorry. No, everybody it out, It's going to be absolutely spectacular. I'm very excited. Uh, Andrew Lincoln coming back as Rick Grimes. It's going to be no, dude, so dude, great. Look, and I'm, I'm in with this. You have been so kind. My son, as I've said, became a super Walking Dead fan on his own. Uh, started getting stammery when he would meet you, even though you had kicked his ass in multiple video games when he was younger, then he was a walking dead guy. And, uh, and, 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 and then of course you were so generous and allowed him to some functions where you have to meet these guys. And the reason I'm bringing this up is my memories came up last week. The, the, the most epic premiere I've ever been to the cemetery premiere, the Negan, uh, big Negan episode that kicked off whatever season that was. And, and, and it was pouring rain. Um, uh, uh, like right around Halloween, it could not have been the, it could not have been better, but there's pictures of Luke and you and Andrew Lincoln and what a charming sweetheart of a guy. I mean, it's so funny watching him play Rick because he's such a sweet guy. Right. I mean, and then he's this tortured guy in a zombie apocalypse, amazing talent, but like, so everybody is excited. Even my son, Luke will ask dad, Hey, I read on, you know, comicbook.com. I read on this site, you know, that, that, that they're still doing that Rick movie. So um, I had to get that in there because that, that, that's going to be huge. Um, and people, people are going to flip out. So awesome. So pandemic slowed it down, but we're going strong. Yes. We're, we're moving forward. Andrew Lincoln, Rick Grimes coming back, walking dead. Um, Robert, dude, you, you are awesome. Thank you for spending time with us. And uh, dude, uh, we, we, I know that you and I will talk again soon. Oh, for sure. <laughs> All, right. All right. So there you have it. There is, uh, the, our interview, our deep dive with the esteemed, amazing Robert Kirkman. Robert, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and hanging out and doing a double dose of Rob observations. Is that Rob observations squared? It, it's Rob observations times two for sure. Thank you for coming on board and, and, and chatting. And that, that was so much fun. And I hope all of you out there in podcast land enjoyed it. Thank you again, bottom of my heart from being here for Rob observations. Uh, it has been an experience 
I feel like I'm just getting the hang of this thing if I'm getting the hang of it at all. Uh, so, 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 that, so we have 50 episodes now behind us. And, and, and we're looking ahead, and I just uh, hope you guys continue to spread the word and to tell people about this podcast, and we're going to continue our uh, examination of comic books and pop culture and how they intertwine and shape the world that we live in right now. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, one word, Robert Liefeld, at Robert Liefeld, with the blue check, that's me. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. So look for me. I'm all over Facebook, social media. Thank you for reaching out to me. I try and talk to as many of you as possible. Thanks for the input. Uh, you know the drill. You are going to take care of yourself. Please take care of yourself. Stay safe. And we will talk again real soon.